It is just after midnight on 6th of July 2013. A 73-car freight train is resting in Nantes, a small town in Quebec, after a difficult journey. The engineer in charge had reported excessive black and white smoke coming from its smokestack all day. After coming to rest, sparks from a broken piston had ignited and drawn the attention of the local fire department. According to protocol, the Nantes Fire Department shuts down the engine before tackling the blaze. They bring the fire under control and then leave the site as soon as track maintenance staff confirm the train is safe. But with the locomotive shut down, the air compressor is no longer supplying the air brake system. The unattended train is being held on the handbrakes alone, which fail at 1.15am. Nantes is 11 kilometres to the west of another small town called Lac Megantic. It's also up a hill with a 1.2% gradient. The train enters the centre of Lac Megantic at 105 kilometres per hour. It reaches a curve in the track that has a maximum speed limit of 16 kilometres per hour. And the train derails. The 7.7 .7 million litres of petroleum crude oil it's carrying ignite. The resulting blast radius is a kilometre in diameter. 47 people lose their lives in one of the deadliest rail disasters in Canadian history. The Lac-Megantic town centre was utterly destroyed and every person in this town of 6,000 was affected. Local and national support for the town swelled and the community came together like never before to help each other and to help local businesses. The rebuilding efforts began and although nothing could be done to change the past, or to bring back the victims of the Lac-Megantic rail disaster, the town could decide exactly how it wanted to build back. It saw an opportunity. A sad opportunity, but an opportunity. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. This is the second of a four-part collection of episodes we are broadcasting ahead of the COP26 Climate Conference to be held in Glasgow in November. This event has the potential to be a critical turning point in the fight against climate change. For this episode, we've partnered with WSP to talk about the rebuilding works after the Lac-Megantic disaster. This small community devastated by the petrol tanks of the freight train on that morning in July 2013, made the decision to electrify and move away from petrol, but also to become a pilot project for a new kind of energy network. In this episode, we will hear from two residents of Lac Megantic about how the town came together to decide on its own redevelopment priorities. We will also learn about the ambitions of Hydro-Quebec, the public utility that already provides the state with some of the most affordable electricity in the world. And we will learn what the future may hold for energy grids worldwide. But first, we need to understand more about a concept that will be key to this episode we need to learn about microgrids. Essentially, a microgrid is, is a system 
is a small scale power grid, I would say, where it can operate independently or, or it, can, it can operate in collaboration and in a collab collaborative manner. This is Yanis Andronikidis. He's the solar photovoltaic and battery storage lead for WSP in the UK. He is an expert in energy transformation. That would be the easiest way to, to identify a, a microgrid. grid. It's, it's, it's a small-scale power grid, essentially. In past years, uh, I think that microgrids were, were more well-known as systems that, that you know, provide power to very rural areas. Areas that might have energy demands, but no provision to get energy to them from a central source, either because they're remote, physically isolated, or there's temporary disruption. Microgrids are, are most well known in the past because of that, because essentially they were a standalone system that with various generations could provide a power grid to the demand. More recently, and partly because of advances in solar panels, wind generation and battery technology, they are of interest in a number of situations because they can provide resilience in the event of a blackout. They can also release stored energy at peak demand, a process known as peak shaving. One of the most challenging problems faced by engineering in any field is how to handle a sudden peak in demand. It doesn't matter if this is water or if it's power. Designing a system that can supply peak demand is very challenging and very inefficient, especially if the peaks are brief. When we're talking about peak saving is, you know, how we can try, you know, to minimize the base load or eliminate essentially from the base load that is considered any peaks that would go about, above that without essentially trying to, well, jeopardize the grid. So uh, essentially, this is the biggest element that the, the battery storage packages and microgrids can capture, you know, managing the, 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 the peak saving essentially and managing those loads in order not to exceed the, the, the forecast essentially of the operator, the grid operator. Stored energy that can be unleashed to deal with these peaks is far more cost effective than reinforcing the baseload energy generated by the system. It's also likely to be cleaner than other fast reacting sources. For example, if a country lacks the renewables to quickly deal with a surge in demand, it could activate dormant coal-fired power plants. These are quick to turn on, but dirty. If the country had access to stored energy that was generated from renewable sources, it could release this at the critical moment, a far more sustainable solution. And this aids what is known as renewable penetration. Correct. Essentially, essentially when we're talking about penetration, is allowing essentially a bigger percentage of renewables to, to be incorporated into, into the, 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 the grid and thus you know, providing a bigger, bigger, a bigger number to the demand. The definition of a microgrid varies depending on the local priorities. And as it's an evolving idea, the definition too is evolving. There is another concept that microgrids help with called load shedding, which is a process to deal with unplanned surges in demand that may cause blackouts. This is basically passing excess demand to a neighboring source of energy. So essentially the microgrid could control better the, the demand because you know, the, the, the demand would be split into, into smaller areas, smaller regions, you know, that it could be more well distributed, obviously tied up with different, different types of generations, including renewable and battery storage that you would expect to be part. So you can, you can offer services like 
a, a, a black start scenario or an island mode. Islanding is the definitive aspect of the microgrid. That's when it isolates itself entirely from the wider world and all local power needs are provided by local generative capacity, be that solar, wind or in more traditional cases, generators. A more resilient, more flexible grid can be more efficient than reinforcing the supply of the entire grid. Intelligent storage of power through a microgrid can help manage peaks and thus reduce the need to produce excess energy that is often fossil generated. This can help with the sustainable development goals and is a critical part of the conversation that many hope to see at COP26. They are evolving and growing more and more. And essentially it's, it's because of, of this benefit that they can sort of manage loads, manage the demand on a, on a local level. And this is how essentially the grid is going to be getting the relief that it's required and avoid, you know, expensive and costly infrastructure upgrades, okay, where it's, where it's needed with, you know, strategically positioned battery storage and microgrids into, into the existing sort of infrastructure. That, that is essentially what, what we are we're looking at, at at the moment. And this is where the town of Lakmagantic comes in, as they rebuild after the tragedy that hit them in 2013. So my name is Stefan Vachon. I'm the director of the Economic Development Office, raised and born in Lakmagantic. Stefan works for the city of Lakmagantic and has responsibility for the redevelopment activities. He returned to the town one year ago after being away for seven years. Because I wanted to contribute to uh, continuing the development of uh, Lakmagantic after a 2013 tragedy. It took me seven years before coming back. But at the very, uh, very early stage, uh, like seven years ago when I, I left, I really felt like a stranger, you know. Uh, I was coming back on the weekends and I would see things as uh, somebody from the outside, but I was living with people from the inside. So I got a, like a conflict, uh, internal conflict, you know. This was a common feeling among people from Lakmagantic. And a lot of people felt compelled to return and help however they could, including... Matthew Pepins. I'm a construction engineer uh, with a master in uh, global engineering international project. I was born in Lake Megantic too. My role is project manager for the reconstruction of, down of the downtown. Matthew nods emphatically as Stefan speaks of the internal conflict of being away during this time. I was very touched in my heart about uh, the events. Some of these people was with me in the high, at the high school, with families. As an engineer, it was very important for me to contribute to the reconstruction and for myself it was important to reconstruction myself. Following the disaster, the town determined that it should move forward democratically and an enormous consultation was called. The council sat down with the population and decided how to rebuild. 2,300 out of 6,000 people. So a third of the people at some point, uh, to some degree, contributed with ideas of how we want to our city to be rebuilt and 
that was very, very important to uh, the, the mayor, the lady mayor, Madame Laroche, and, and the council to really consult and, and see how we want to develop the city. The major outcome of the meeting was to completely integrate energy transition into the town, to make it a leader in the green economy. A large part of this was the provision of a microgrid for Lac-Megantic, but the town is now also courting green industry to take its place in a green industrial district. So the microgrid is one example. We have another example where we have a demo plant project. It will be an ethanol plant. So it's a second generation ethanol process and it's made from uh, forest biomass and uh, the pig slurry, you know, <laughs> because the area here is uh, the main industry is wood. So it makes sense to recycle, reuse portion of the wood process that is not used or is a, a reject. So that, that all that renewable economy. The town has also created a youth space is making the downtown more pedestrian friendly and greener, and is even launching an incentive scheme to help artists and creative industries move to a particular neighborhood in the center. They said, why not to be the biggest little town of Canada? For this episode, we are going to focus on the microgrid. And there is one person who is more familiar with the project than anyone else. My name is Simon Pelchat. I'm an electrical engineer. My role at WSP is to be the national lead for battery energy storage and microgrids, as well as being a project manager on renewables projects. Simon did a bachelor's degree in electrical and electronic engineering, then a master's in energy efficiency. But he's always been passionate about renewable energy and especially emerging technologies such as energy storage and solar. And by looking at the literature, by looking at what's what what was uh, what was going on in the in the world apart from the province of Quebec, I could see that localized like generated energy was really becoming a thing. So uh, when I got the chance to really uh, work on that Lac Mégantic project, I raised my hand and say I I want to be the guy who's gonna let's say manage this project, learn more and, and, and use that projects to uh, potentially win other mandates and really uh, develop that microgrid and help develop that microgrid industry in the country. Simon's first trip to Lac Megantic was to discuss the results of a feasibility study that was compiled by WSP's teams in the US, the UK and Canada. It assessed the potential technologies that were to be used in the microgrid. It also identified the perimeter of the grid and the number of buildings that could be fed by distributed energy sources, and that the grid could island. That meeting was was really interesting because you could feel the the excitement uh, from from the the Lac Megantic people because you know. It, it meant for them that this project was not only a dream anymore, an idea anymore, but it was really, you know, concrete that we, we, we had some results, we had a, a plan in mind. So as a person whose team has actually designed a microgrid, what is Simon's definition of one? I mean, probably the best definition I, I could give would be to have uh, distributed energy resources that would 
allow a certain load to be fed by, by, by the energy that is locally so produced. So what that mostly, let's say, implies is that you are, you are cutting basically the transmission lines or you are cutting all of the risks that could be related to power outages or any, you know, any outages that could be caused by whether it's, it's, it's vegetation or, or, or so on. So it's really, it, it reduces the risk of power outages. It maximizes also the efficiency because you don't uh, have transmission losses, for example, electrical losses. And also it maximizes the resiliency. So that's the definition. But Simon reiterates what we said before. The definition is evolving as more projects get trialed in more situations. This buzzword of a microgrid uh, can be used at, at several sources, I would say. For example, it could be a microgrid that is behind the meter, for example, located on the, on the university campuses, on a hospital campus, and solely, let's say, destined to feed the, the building needs. Whereas in, in the project that, that we will be speaking about today, this microgrid is destined to feed a perimeter of, for example, 30 different buildings. So that would mean that the, the, the generation that is sometimes located behind the meter on certain buildings rooftop or in the electrical room, if there's an excess of energy, so if we're producing more than, than the building needs, then we can just push back the electricity on the network just to feed the other buildings as well. The high-level goals of the Lac-Megantic microgrid project were to generate enough power from distributed energy resources to island the downtown perimeter. In the end, they managed to get an islanding time of up to 12 hours. And they wanted to integrate distributed energy resources into buildings to enable peak shaving and load shedding, and to gain knowledge about the operation of microgrids so they could then take these lessons learned to a number of remote villages in Quebec. If the microgrid has to island for any reason, the transition is seamless. Perhaps a user might notice a light bulb flicker for a moment, but no more than that. Another function is that the microgrid needs to have a forecasting ability. So the, the microgrid would, would, would need to be controlled by a microgrid controller, so an entity that would have a certain, let's say, certain layers of intelligence, meaning that the ability to see what's, you know, what's, the, what's being forecast in the next few days, for example, to maximize, uh, I mean, the recharge of the batteries, like knowing, for example, that uh, there, there won't be that much sun in the next few days, and then we'll we'll have to maximize, you know, the the the, um, the production from the battery because the solar panels won't be of use in the next few days. There is also a prioritization function, which means the system can make economic decisions about which source to use based on supply and prices. There are 600 kilowatt hours of energy stored in batteries at a centralized substation and a further 400 kilowatt hours distributed in behind the meter units spread around the downtown area of Lac Megantic in around six or seven buildings. For a total of one megawatt hour. And this is complemented by a centralized photovoltaic generating capacity of 550 kilowatt peak. This is the peak generating capacity in kilowatts and distributed solar paneling totaling 170 kilowatt peak. For a total of 720 kilowatt peak. 
for this project, a big part of the desired outcome was lessons learned to take to other remote villages, including some First Nations communities that might benefit from more resilient grids. We definitely learned that it is uh, it is super important, and I it's all it's pretty much always the case. But when you work with cl existing clients, this was not a type of uh, brownfield or greenfield projects. Major consultants working in power and renewables in North America often work with a lot of large-scale facilities. Arrive in a field, build a scheme, leave the field. Whereas in the case of Lac Megantic, We had buildings that were existing several and, and they, they were all owned by a different private owners, you know, uh, who did not really understood these technologies. So there was a lot of education to do, a lot of meetings with them to, to tell them how, how their life would be made simpler and not more complicated by adding these, these technologies. And getting all of the stakeholders to understand each other's needs. This is something that we had to work a lot. I mean, the human side of it uh, was really at the, at the key uh, of this project. The learning is ongoing, as the microgrid has only just been commissioned. Another thing that will be interesting to see in future is the effect of electric vehicles. These need to be charged from the grid, creating additional load, but having these car batteries sitting idle for most of the time might also provide further opportunities. More stored energy to create grid resilience. The lessons learned in Lac Megantic are being fed into the growing understanding of what a microgrid is, what it can do. Simon says that integrating the lessons from Lac Megantic will make a true difference all over the world, especially with new challenges such as electric vehicles. Hydro-Quebec is the energy utility of Quebec. It's a true giant, operating over 60 hydropower plants with a capacity of over 37 gigawatts. It even supplies 10% of the power to New England in the US and has revenues approaching 15 billion Canadian dollars. And this is the company's first ever microgrid, so it draws fascination from within Hydro-Quebec. One of the people most interested in it also has one of the most exciting sounding job titles we've ever encountered at Engineering Matters. Here is David Olivier Goulet, and he is the engineer for the integration of new technologies at Hydro-Quebec. I mainly work on pilot projects uh, of integrating new technologies on our distribution network. So we have a, a lot, we, we actually, we are a pretty small team, about 10 to 14 people, depending. I've been working on the team for more than three years now. And uh, we are looking into different technologies that can bring value both for Hydro-Quebec, but also for our customers. So uh, the, the biggest project I've worked on was uh, the Lac Megantic project, of course. But he also looks at heat storage, at the use of electric vehicles to charge buildings, preheating homes to avoid peak demand periods, and all sorts of other pilots, experiments and business cases. After studying mechanical engineering in Montreal, David Olivier joined an energy efficiency firm before getting hired by Hydro-Quebec. His first job was upgrading the hydropower plants. So the, uh, as you know or might not know, we have a 99% clean energy grid that is mainly uh, hydroelectricity uh, uh, generating stations. 
Those generating stations are, most of them are up north, uh, quite far from all the, the customers. So, uh, and they are big generating stations and they, they were built, some of them were built 50, 60 years ago. So we are constantly improving those generating stations. So I, I was working on these teams. Hydro-Quebec is in a very strong position, a lot of generating capacity and an almost entirely green grid. Although it is generally these remote communities that we mentioned that make up that 1% of fossil fuel use that remains. But having some of the cheapest, greenest electricity in the world does present some challenges. The company has limited experience dealing with solar panels. And they're not of much interest locally, compared to the UK, for example, where solar panels offer an alternative to expensive electricity generated from fossil fuels. But things are changing, and the emergence of electric vehicles will place these new stresses on the grid. And reinforcing a grid that relies on a highly centralised generation is sometimes difficult, or at least less efficient than a distributed system with microgrids at strategic locations. Electricity grids all across the world need to adapt and upgrade their old equipment. Intelligent systems like microgrids are all part of the equation. All distributors face similar challenges. How can we make sure that uh, we remain with a strong grid? Because uh, we have a really strong grid, very few outages, and uh, we want to make sure that those DERs, uh, distributed energy resources, won't impact the grid in the future where we will begin to see more and more of these technologies. So a project like the microgrid we just did in Lac Megantic, this is one of the objectives, is to learn from those technologies, see how it impacts our grid, see how it impacts our customers, and learn from, these, uh, from this project. David Olivier says that apart from preventing outages, peak shaving and load shedding are the critical reasons to have a microgrid in Lac Megantic. Quebec is unusual. They use electricity for heating and for cooking due to the low cost of energy, so the peaks can be very high. The usefulness of microgrids for Lac Megantic and potentially for the 22 remote communities in Quebec is clear to David Olivier. But does the grid of the future look like a patchwork quilt of microgrids? That's a good question that we are constantly asking ourselves. We don't see in the future uh, a grid with hundreds of microgrids uh, around our grid because the, the island, as I said, for us, a microgrid is something that can be islanded from the, the rest of the grid. And it's not something that we think is very useful for the grid. What we think will be that the future of our grid will possibly be having those technologies, like you said, in some communities, and those communities could exchange energy with communities uh, next to those cities or, I don't know, buildings that, are, uh, that have storage that can uh, provide energy to the building next to it. So we see having more and more DERs on our grids to produce maybe with uh, solar panels or produce locally, store energy locally, but we don't see microgrids uh, as the one in Lac Megantic popping everywhere because there is no business case in islanding uh, a community and it makes much more sense to have those DERs deployed in maybe in in places where the the load on the distribution line is is very high and we are we will need maybe in the future to 
to change those lines because uh, they, they, they have their maximum capabilities. So maybe we can use those technologies as energy storage to reduce the demand uh, during peaks on those distribution lines. And then uh, this would make sense. But we don't see a, a grid with a, a lot of microgrids uh, around the grid. The business case is far stronger for places with expensive electricity, so a microgrid can often be an important part of an energy transition. But the weighting behind the benefits of such a system are different in different places. Most of the queries Hydro-Quebec receives from other utilities around the world focuses on the way that the Lac-Megantic microgrid is defined. And what I mean by that is that most of the microgrids that we see everywhere they include a generator, either diesel generator or other type of generator to make sure that at any time they can power the microgrid. The main characteristic of our microgrid uh, in Lac Mégantic is that there is no generator. We only have solar generation and energy storage. So we are operating a 100% renewable microgrid and this has a lot of challenges because the battery needs to have the grid forming abilities. They need to be able to control voltage and frequency inside the microgrid, where in other projects, this is done by the generator, uh, often the diesel generator. So th there were a lot of questions uh, about uh, this side of the project and also how we, we managed to integrate the project with the community. So. We presented and we tried to publish this project as much as we can, and we are still doing it every week, uh, speaking with, with people and presenting the project. And as I said, most of the questions are about those uh, technical aspects of having no generators on site. Such an unusual project for such a large entity like Hydro-Quebec does call for some flexibility in procedures and in their approach. That is a big challenge uh, for projects like this. The good thing uh, is that everybody that works on the on on this project, the, the people are easy to mobilize because it, it, it's a really fun project to work with. Uh, it's new technologies. Everyone wants to be aboard, uh, on board with the project. But of course, it, it's a big challenge to integrate the microgrid with our, let's say, our distribute our control distribution center. So. We managed to, to work with uh, the people on the uh, control center of the distribution network to make it as easy as possible for the operators to integrate this new technology. But since it's a pilot project, we have a solution that works. But of course, now when the, the challenge for the upcoming years or upcoming project is to integrate this not as a pilot project, but really integrated those new technologies as a whole. So it's a big challenge. Everybody is willing to work towards uh, achieving the project, but there there is still uh, work to be done. But we, we always find a way to make it work. Stefan from Lac Megantic says that the town and its people will always be affected by the disaster. But the project has become important to their recovery. I don't like to be defined by the strategy, but it, it's the reality. 
it gave us a sad opportunity and and but a lot of people were affected and are still to some degree affected and uh, that's why it's so important to everybody because everybody was touched by it to some degree and the community is proud not just of the redevelopment but of the fact that it might help people in other parts of the world you know the microgrid is part of the energy transition strategy of development but it's a very specific and real project that people can see people here in the town but people outside the town can see and it, it personifies our strategy it's it's, it's the first step or landmark of that strategy now stefan is chasing other dream companies to see how far this development can be pushed this is ongoing work now the microgrid has been built the microgrid now is that it's been built it took like two years or three years to build put in place you know infrastructure blah 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 but now it's working they're doing the final test before the winter comes you know to make sure everything works and uh, and then the project is landed to the city free of charge okay so now the city is starting to incorporate this project in their daily lives understand it and as i said bring people uh, higher awareness of their individual importance in trans uh, energy transition or uh, energy efficiency so my our job as a city is to make sure that this nice project and, and tool is is used in a proper way that it really contributes to changing behaviors and uh, raise awareness of the importance of uh, as i said of the the human challenge that we have you know to 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 save the planet basically that's our mission we position ourselves in a green way to attract companies yeah, that's great but it's also the other goal is really to be an example in, in great behavior towards that global objective. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher, co-hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our own local energy source is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, WSP, with thanks also to Hydro-Quebec and to the town of Lac Megantic. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. <laughs>